Being a director or photographer can oftentimes feel like the loneliest of professions. From the moment that you make that decision to pursue this career, at least for me, it seems like you are forever in your own head, learning, creating, and assessing your performance, torturing yourself with the hunt for a worthy idea, studying films, and desperately trying to figure out how one of those bigger filmmakers pulled it off. And when we were younger, we would flip through film theory books and read through issues of American Cinematographer, hunting for some sort of insight, but it always felt way too textbook way too third person. Then came along the DVD commentaries, and we could often find little nuggets of info about how they shot or created some scene, and maybe we'd find some insights into how they survived an onset disaster. Then came YouTube and tutorials and video essays on techniques, but more often than not, it seemed like the people who were creating these things knew just about as much as you do and sometimes even less, and it felt like they were just regurgitating the stuff that we read in the textbooks. So how do you get some of that onset actual training? How do you get this experience that you need before you have clients breathing down your neck? Now I've said it before and I'll say it again, being a PA or an assistant gives you amazing access when you're starting out. It's a great way to learn how each department works and ultimately how the real world affects that romantic vision that you may have created of what a film set's supposed to be. But as you get older and the competition gets harder, how do you learn what a lot of your peers are doing when they are in fact are just as secluded as you are? How do you get past that notion that if I let people in, they will steal my style, my look, and maybe even take my job? For years now, I've been a huge advocate of teaching and allowing people into my process, hence this podcast. And I celebrate those other creatives who do the same thing. That is part of what today's show is about. The other part is very current and personal to me at the moment. I'm at this point in my career where major change is needed in order for me to advance. I have been an East Coast kid since birth. I've been making amazing indie projects out here in Boston and building and nourishing a fantastic team of collaborators. And then ultimately, together, we've been pointing out work that gets noticed by some of the biggest names in Hollywood. But I keep hitting this ceiling. And I think it's because I need to start hanging out with these other directors and actors and producers that are working at my level. Creatives that not only want to share, but have access to the pieces needed to finally tip the scales in the right direction. To finally get one of these films rolling. Now, don't get me wrong, I've been incredibly fortunate this past year and found an amazing management and agent team. And these guys are busting ass behind the scenes, opening doors and getting me in front of people. But I have never been the type of person who just sits back and waits. I've always needed to have ammunition of my own, connections that I can bring to the table, and relationships with some of the best techs in the business to help bring my ideas to life. Long story short, I think this all means that I need to spend some serious time in Los Angeles. Now, from a personal level, I am so fucking fortunate to have the support and the drive of my soulmate, Gina, who also wants to advance her career in a city like Los Angeles. So it's just making sense, right? We both recently made the trek out there for one of her big photo shoots. And by the way, that is one of the many benefits of dating someone in the business is that you get to go along for her ride as well. Uh, and while I was there working, I would work for her for a few days on her shoot, but I made sure to pack my week with as many meetings and hangouts as possible to see what it's actually like to live in that city. 
to see if the people there are willing to open their doors and share. Now, one of my hangouts was with an old buddy of mine, Zach Burke. Who's Zach? Well, I can guarantee that all of you have seen his work. Maybe it was one of his many metal and punk videos that he directed in the early 2000s. He did stuff for like Shadows Fall and Converge. Uh, or maybe you saw one of his full-length documentaries or docu-series that he's had on Discovery and other channels. But I promise you that you have all seen his commercial work. Do you know those Chevy ads where they invite a bunch of real people into a room and they start to ask them questions about what kind of car they drive? And then halfway through the ad, they either open up these giant bay doors and reveal a bunch of Chevy trucks, or there's that one ad where they start pulling trucks through the floor. It's like five or six trucks get pulled through the floor of that place. Yeah, Zach directs those. And he's one of the kindest, most outgoing and heartwarming people that I know. And I was lucky enough to sit down with him when I was in LA. We hung out at this rad old dive bar. You know how I am. We sat around, drank a bunch of beers. We talked about directing. And we both, as peers, were trading stuff that we had been through. And it was such a great conversation. And I knew it would be really good for the podcast. And then, on top of everything, he invited me the next day to his shoot, to his set. Which is often unheard of. Another director inviting essentially competition, not even, I'm not a competition, but another director to his set and opening his doors and showing me how he does everything. And it was such a wonderful experience. And so I, I, I needed to get him on the show. And luckily he was totally down. <laughs> also, he started as Tony Scott's assistant. So he's got some amazing stories about that and about being assistant in Hollywood. Really good stuff. So, if you guys are directors and you're feeling alone, welcome. Come on board. Listen to this episode. If you like to hear about behind-the-scenes stuff on how movies were made, you know, welcome. You'll enjoy this episode. So, here's the deal. Get together with a few of your filmmaker pals, pour yourselves a nice set of cold beers, settle into those comfy chairs, sit back, relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. Okay, we're here with Zach. Hey, Zach, thanks for uh, coming on the show, man. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me, dude. I'm excited to be here. Oh, dude, I'm so pumped to have you on. Um, and, you know, I was saying in the intro... Um, I was recently, I just did a trip out to California and you and I got to actually hang out and have beers. I think that was the first time we've hung out in person and had beers. Yeah. Man. Funny enough, we've been friends for years and I, mm -hmm. and I realized that too, that was like that trip, you know, we got to hang out, have some beers at Cozy, talk a bit, but then it was also, you know, incredible to have you come down the set, you know, yeah. and actually hang with me and be Dude. It's such a rare, it, I said this to you, it's, it's such a rare occasion as a director that you get to go hang out with other directors because, I don't know, sometimes directors get a little weird and, they, you know, having another director on set can be kind of awkward for some folks, but. Um, and I've never, I, funny enough, like, you know, we've both been doing this a long time. I've never been bugged out by that, you know, and maybe it's just because, you know, I got my start in music videos and it was sort of a. Mm-hmm. You know, in the early 2000s, there was sort of a thing where it's like, hey, I'd go visit Dave Myers, 
you know, because I'd learned something from Dave, like mm-hmm. being there. And then, you know, he might stop by my side and give me some pointers or like, you know, the fantastic director, Nathan Cox, very similar, you know, and it was kind of like, <clears throat> you know, um, here I was and I was a young filmmaker and, you know, I'd been around the business a while by then, but here I was, you know, as a director, or a young filmmaker, and there was just so much that I would learn being hands-on like that versus a book or a class or, you know, yeah. Yeah, something maybe, or, you know, it's just something like, you know, when you're in the heat of battle, as I like to say, and trying <laughs> to decide on a lens and, you know, you can look over at a Nathan or a Dave and be like, Hey man, what do you think? <laughs> you know, and it'd be like, hey, well, you know, when I was shooting Janet Jackson, I did this, and I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. <laughs> you know, it's, you know? it's the same thing. I'm completely in agreement with you. I love it. I actually love when I'm not working. I love going to work on other people's stuff. So sometimes I'll go, do you still work? Or sometimes, like recently, I just started uh, going back and doing a bunch of DP work, and I just for yeah. the first time in fucking years, I went and I gaffed for uh, a couple of the DPs that I know. And it's a blast because you get to hang out and you basically get to look in the toolbox of other creatives, not to steal anything, but just sort of look at it and go, oh, that's how you would do a uh, front light for that? Oh, rad, good idea, awesome. And it's just more tools that you can put in the box, basically. Absolutely, and it's knowledge. I mean, that's, <clears throat> you know, funny enough, in, t- in talking about what we're talking about right now, you know, way back when, I know that you know this, but to the listeners, you know, I was Tony Scott's assistant in, so cool. uh, in the late 90s, right? And I did a movie called Enemy of the State. And uh, funny enough, it was, you know, my I was extremely lucky. So I went to Emerson in Boston and then, the you know, basically came out and I did their L.A. program my senior year. So what I did, this all has a point and ties back in in a second. So sorry for the long-winded intro. Do it, do it, man, do but, it. But, you know, what happened is, is that, I, I get into town three months early. I'm living with one of my older friends, you know, that I had already graduated and moved out. And funny enough, the guy that I bought weed off of at Emerson <laughs> was, uh, was the uh, the um, receptionist at Scott Free, right? Awesome. awesome. You know, Ridley and Tony, right? And so here I am, and I'm like, wait a second. And he's like, hey, I'm looking for interns, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, because he's like, you know, straight up, you know, there are so many fanboys with the both of those guys that we, you know, for lack of a better word, we got a lot of psychopaths in here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> are best with like Blade Runner or, you know, Crimson Tide or True Romance or, you know, one of these movies, Legend, you know. And here yeah. I am and I'm in my head like, well, I'm a, as obsessed with all those films <laughs> but I'm not going to act like a freak and I'm going to, you know. So I basically, I, you know, I jumped right in, you know, with both feet. And, um, and started working with Tony and like, you know, I think about those times and think about what we're talking about and that here I was as intern and I'm on set and, you know, to me, Tony Scott was one of the greatest directors ever. And, you know, I miss him every day, you know, yeah, man. Yeah, he made man. friendship like right up, you know, to the end. And, you know, and of course I'm at RSA and all that stuff, but, you know, um, he would literally be like, Zach, Hey man, come here, come here. And like, like pull me over and like he's setting some shot up with Will Smith or something sexy. And he'd be like, hey, I'm putting the camera here and I'm using this lens and this one to this one so I can cut from this and cut, you know, so I can go from right to this, that and be able to cut out the air in between. So it's, you know, the punches lands heavier, whatever the heck it was. You know what I mean? So cool. It's so valuable. Right. And so I, I, it just blew my mind. And then 
funny enough, like, you know, at the end of the movie, you know, I guess I was kind of fired, but it wasn't really fired. Like basically Tony was like, all right, man, <laughs> this is what's up. He's like, I know that, you know, he'd watched all my little short films, my little horror short films that made it <laughs> and I'm and his stuff. And he was like, I know you want to be a director. And if you stay with me, you're going to end up being a producer. And, you know, um, so what I want to do, and he's like, and that's totally cool. If you want to stay and you want to do that, but if, if you want to be a director, I highly recommend linking you up with a producer. So in layman's terms, so you can learn how much stuff costs, you know yeah. what I mean? And how, yeah. and what really goes into a production from a monetary standpoint and, you know, what it takes to get things done. Like, you know, I'll see like a younger, you know, I, I always kind of laugh, like, cause I did the same thing, but I'll read, you know, somebody's treatment sometimes or something. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to blow this car up and then it flies off a bridge. And then it's this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so what's your budget? And they're like, yeah, like 10 grand. And I'm like, uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, so I, that's what I did for a long time is that, you know, before I started directing full time, I worked at a fantastic company called Hypnotic and I, you know, I was a producer, you know, and, and, and put together, um, you know, budgets for, you know, the different various things that we were filming and, you know, kind of oversaw the production and stuff. And, um, and then when it came time to, you know, basically, you know, my friends and bands started to get signed or suddenly, you know, even in the punk community and in the indie community and metal community, like, you know, making videos was, was a cool thing again. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. It'd be awesome, and I know you know this very well. It'd be awesome that you know, like Converge or some of these, you know, my buddies that were in bands would have a little money, and I'm like, great, this is like baked in that I can, you know, create my own reel here because I can produce it, put everything together, and mm -hmm. then I can direct it and shoot it. You know what I mean? And kind of, you know, on that, be the creative force and the uh, the monetary force. You know what I mean? And have the knowledge to do that. Yeah, dude. I mean, music videos was the same thing, man. Music videos for me were the same deal where you had to figure out how to produce it first because, you know, they, they didn't have a shitload of money, you know, and, and oftentimes yeah, some of the... Like, yeah, I, I think about that sometimes. Like, oh my God, yeah, I would like have like loose ends of 35 millimeter film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Be like, you know. Yeah, dude. And then, and then you become very... You become very frugal. I learned how to produce when I went to school. I did a short run at New York Film Academy in New York, and I've talked about this on the show, so I won't go on, but uh, I went to a city that I had never lived in, never had family or contacts in that city, and I had to produce three short films. And so I learned really early on how to produce, how to talk people into doing things. I mean, that's you're kind of like a, you know, a, a happy con man. <laughs> it's kind of what... <laughs> what, it, what it ends up being, you know, and, it, and dude, you're right on point. And it's so cool. And it's so very inspiring to hear uh, that you heard that stuff from Tony Scott, because the Scott brothers in general, from my perspective, they're fucking machines. Like those oh, two sure. are intense. And the but fact think, that uh, think about how many, you know, Tony's name is still on so many television series and shows and stuff like that, that they, you know, were developing, you know, throughout the nineties, throughout the eighties. And like, now it's like, Hey, you know, like it's, it's kind of spooky going IMDB pro. And like, Tony's got like, I don't know, 25 upcoming projects. 
2012, and I'm like, all right, Tony. <laughs> beyond the grave. It's awesome. You know? well, so, so, so to bring it back, this, okay, so you went and you started and you assisted for him, and then you've had quite the career in between, and then it's come full circle for you, right? So now you're back. With, it's like Ridley Scott Group now. They changed it from RSA to they've changed the title of everything yeah, they're doing. Ridley Scott Creative Group, exactly. And so what that encompasses, that umbrella, <clears throat> and excuse me, that umbrella encompasses, um, you know, Scott Free Productions, Scott Free Films. Yep. Um, you know, obviously all the television stuff that is also Scott Free, so Scott Free Television, um, RSA Films, and then you have you know Black Dog, which is kind of the music, Jake yeah. Scott you know, division. And then you have, um, you know, happy films and a couple of the other things that, that they have affiliated 3am. Um, so it's kind of neat instead of like, you know, I think that it was very smart of them to do that instead of like having all these different names and you know what I mean? And yeah, arrows connecting everything, you know, here it is, here's the umbrella, you know, this is who you're getting in bed with. So for me, it was, it was, you know, extremely cool. And I, and truthfully, I felt honored to, to be invited back. Um, you know, I, like you said, I, I went off and I was at a company called Radical Media for about 10 years mm -hmm. and I, you know, have nothing but amazing things to say about them. And then, um, you know, then I linked up with one of my, two of my, um, Radical, um, EPs, uh, Dana Locatel and Tim Mack. And we started this company called Make, which was, which was awesome. You know what I mean? And here we were, and you know, it was the three of us that we were always working on things together. So I tried that boat as well. Well, you know, where I was at like one of the bigger legacy companies. And then I went and kind of did my own smaller company um, that was, you know, pretty hands-on and pretty cool. Um, but then, you know, in thinking about my career and thinking about moving forward, you know, I, since I was seven years old, I wanted to make movies. And, you know, yeah. this door open where it's like, Hey, listen, you know, we know you got, <clears throat> we know you're on point with your commercial game and I'm, you know, you know that I'm shooting spots all the time, but you know, it was just a bit overwhelming to me. Like, okay, great. I, you know, know all these people in ad agency world now, now I have to learn about these other bazillion people. <laughs> and here I have the opportunity to, you know, essentially quote unquote, come home, um, with one of the greatest where I got, you know, started my career as an intern and then as an assistant, you know, come back to that, that company and that family and have them support me the way they, the way that they do, you know, it's, it's, um, it's incredible. You know? and, and, and they're such an incredible, it just seems like from a, from a directorial standpoint, it seems like they are very obsessed with the art form. Like they're very sure. obsessed with like the visual art form. And they, I mean, Ridley's an amazing businessman. Like the fact that the guy, I mean, how many businesses does he run? Like it's insane. Well, he's got, and he's got his like, you know, he's got his wine business. He's trying to get some other stuff too, which is great. You know, uh, oh. that it, you know, does involve film, but exactly like, you know, think about thinking about those resources. Like, I can't talk about the, you know, about the two movies that, mm -hmm. that I'm attached to at this point. And I, you know, I'm not allowed to say what they are yet because they have to be official and there's mm -hmm. got to be a press release, but thinking about those films and how we're getting them off the ground to have, you know, Ridley and Tom Moran and Jules and the Scott free, um, brand, mm -hmm. um, 
behind you and those conversations and be able to, you know, bring them into the room with me and lean on them. You know what I mean? Like as I'm chatting up, you know, some producer type, you know what I mean? That's like, Hey, I got this idea. It'd be cool if you did it. You know, like, yeah, totally. Let's see what Ridley thinks. It really comes and sits in the room with you. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) You know? It's um, super cool, man. It's yeah. super cool to have that, dude. And yeah. it's, I mean, that is just, how long have you been doing this now? You've been doing this for what, like 18 years or something? How long have you been doing yeah. it? Yeah, well, I I did Converge, um, Concubine, Fault and Fracture. That was my first music video. Well, second, technically my second music video. I did a small video for Reach the Sky, this other, you know, hardcore band from Boston. But that was 2002, you know. Um, yeah. I kind of do that Converge is the official first one because that you know was all over headbangers ball and all that kind of stuff right yeah yeah and, you know it, it was it was awesome and then it was you know fast track so imagine you know i'm shooting videos and i was at a company called fm rocks um which was you know kind of couldn't get bigger at one point than fm rocks for music videos mm-hmm. and you know literally cranking all the time and then you know my mind just because i had started where i started and after you know, after Scott Free RSA, I went to a propaganda films and propaganda was like huge for commercial production. And I worked with a pretty crazy lady that worked with feature directors doing, you know, television commercials like <laughs> Doug Ryman and Brian Singer and Alfonso Cuaron and, and uh, you know, Barry Levinson and like Dave Los, these awesome guys. And um, anyway, so it was like, you know, in, in, being able to be hands-on and working with those guys, I always, so I just always wanted to make ads. And the reason that um, I think back to, you know, the first times I ever talked about it is like, I remember Tony telling me like, cause we'd always, his Porsche 911 would always break down. So we, <laughs> I'd always have to go pick him up. So there's like plenty of times like rolling around LA, you know what I mean? Talking to him in front of my like, Aerostar minivan, you know, and like having these long talks with them and, and, you know, cause LA traffic and basically, you know, tone would be like, what's cool about commercials is that you can try a bunch of different things. You know what I mean? Like one day you're shooting a comedy, one day you're shooting an action movie, one day you're shooting like sexy car stuff, like mm-hmm. whatever it is. And you can apply that to, um, you know, your filmmaking. Cause you know, with, with movies now we're in a completely different space where we're talking about a two hour film, 90 minute film, whatever it is. And for lack of a better word, you kind of can't fuck up. It isn't like, Hey, I went and shot a commercial for two days and I didn't really like the way it came out. And that's okay. Like the ad agency will be back because I delivered what they wanted. Right. With movies, it's like, it's just a whole different level and a whole different platform, you know, and the way people are looking at you and analyzing your work and yada, yada, yada. So, I knew that I wanted to do that. And so what I did was, you know, right around 2005, right? That's when quote unquote branded entertainment started to become a thing. Right. And, you know, um, I, I did this thing, Terry Tate office linebacker with a director called Ross and third, I was a producer on it. One of the producers on it. And that was kind of my, some of my earliest memories of, you know, we had the television commercials. That was the Reebok one where the guys run around tackling everybody. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? Mm-hmm. And, and like, we also had these like four minute films that were online. So, you know, that was kind of my earliest memories of branded entertainment, branded stuff. Yeah. Um, where a brand is still paying for it, you know, but it's kind of in a different space and it's not a super selly 30 second commercial. 
Right. I mean, I, re- I remember like BMW Films was like the first oh, time. Totally. Yeah. And Tony did a couple of those, you yep. know, and, and funny enough, and, you know, that helped really kind of catapult Paul Cameron's <clears throat> career as well. You know, I work with Paul all the time, you know, and so, um, so here I was and it's like 2005 and I had the opportunity. I made a, a mockumentary film called Punk Like Me, right? <laughs> And one of my buddies, Rich Wilkes, he wrote Airheads and he wrote Triple X, you know, and he had all this money and he was kind of having this midlife crisis. And he's like, you know, he's, I'm 42 now. And I think he was 42 when we made it. Right. And he was like, dude, I've never been the singer in a band. I played drums poorly. <laughs> and he's like, wouldn't it be freaking cool if, if I could figure out how to go on tour? And I'm like, dude, that'd be awesome. So he, you know, being who he is, he somehow got in the office of Kevin Lyman and he brought me with him, you know, and, and Kevin, you know, puts together warp tour and everything was like, Hey man, yeah, you could totally bring your band on tour and you'll play on the Kevin says stage, which is like this little tent. <laughs> but he's like, we can go on tour. So basically <clears throat> we went on tour and we made a movie about it. It's called punk like me. And the, how this relates to what we're talking about is that like, you know, that, trailer alone like we got in the south by southwest and we won the audience award and this was like in like 2006 and long story short radical media saw that trailer and with branded stuff becoming a really hot thing they were like dude we could take this trailer because i had a heap of music videos but not a lot of spots right, right? right we could take this trailer and apply it to that branded space this online space and you know, let's see what happens. And they did, you know, and they ran with the ball. And so what was, what was awesome is, is, you know, I went over to radical and then radical, I really started to sort of hone my skill on storytelling because I, you know, direct these, you know, long form television shows and series for like discovery and for this. And they were all, you know, rooted in DACO, you know what I mean? Like it'd be, you know, my Volkswagen show racing under green, or I did that the one I love is Six Beers of Separation, where I did that for two weeks to dry beer in Australia. And what it was is um, these four unknown Australian artists need to get to the U.S. mentor of their choice in six degrees of separation or less. And it, that, you know, there's six beers in a six pack. You know? so, anyway, so that one was a lot of fun because it was like Will Arnett and, you know, uh, I don't know, Good Charlotte and, all, you know, all these cool bands and, and people. Um, but long story short, it was awesome, man, because, you know, obviously, you know, the budgets were a lot bigger than what you and I have always dealt with, yeah. um, you know, in music videos. And and I could really kind of work with people and tell stories. And, you know, I did some other stuff with actual actors. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic, you know. And so when all these older guys like Tarsem and Steve Miller and brilliant directors, you know, commercial directors, but they'd be like, what? I'm not going to need something for the web. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, I was like, so you're trying to tell me Southwest airlines that you got a million dollars to tell a story about this guy who can like do 20 things at once in his office. And they're like, yeah. And you, you want me to make four, like five minute films. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Are you kidding? Like totally, you know, <laughs> of course, yeah. of, of course, man. It's, it's so funny. The, the changing that happens, the sort of changing in tide that has been happening in the creative space. I remember when uh, Ian and I started doing music videos, we were talking to some of the older directors at that time 
Uh, right. And I've mentioned this in other episodes where the fucking budget for the music video was their percentage take on the. Oh, I know. Oh, dude. Yeah. And it's so, like those Mark Romanek stories are like, even Dave, Dave, Dave Myers had like $6 million to do a Janet Jackson video at one point. Oh, my God, dude. Oh my God, dude. Anyway, I cut you off. Keep going. Yeah, Sorry. no. So, but it's, it's fascinating to see the changing of hands that happened. Cause I remember they were like, how the fuck are you guys going to do this? And, and in retrospect, they were kind of right because they were like, how the fuck are you going to do this and survive and make a living? And then it just sort of hit a point where it's like, well, we're not going to make a living. <laughs> so, so you guys were kind of right about that, but it's fascinating to see the changing of, of hands and how that works and how the older dudes, like you said, were like, I'm not going to do anything for the fucking web, but now everything's the fucking web, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, and I think like, I think just with the way that the industry has changed, um, you know, if we're going to talk about music videos for a second, it's like, you know, you're Ariana Grande or Katy Perry or, you know, maybe Maroon 5, even though they sucked at the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, certain, there's, certain, there's certain bands and groups and stuff that, that still get pretty decent budgets, but we're, we're still talking about, you know, 250, 200. Right. When I started, like I, you know, I know that I had some of those opportunities to work with some bigger bands and it would be, I don't know. I felt kind of like the dirty Harry of music videos at one point because I would do, you know, I did all of our like cool, like metal scene stuff, you know, shadows fall tremendous band that, you know, I'm still very close with and yep. Kick Murphy's, of course, and blah, blah, blah. But I, you know, I had some opportunities to work with, you know, these other pop artists, you know, on major labels. And it really was, I, I say Dirty Harry because they were like, hey, we have this new, you know, female singer. We really don't know what to do with her. Or <laughs> like, I'm a, I'm a huge Blue October fan and I still work with them all the time. And I love Justin, the singer, and um, like as a brother. And, you know, they gave me an opportunity. They were like, hey, you know, he was in a completely different place. And it's like, we're doing this, you know, song called Into the Ocean and we have 250,000 um, and we want you to do it. And I was blown away. Like, Dude, that's cool. A million dollars, you know? But then I guess my, this whole long-winded thing, my point is, is, you know, budgets shrank from there. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm talking about with like, you know, the average music video now is, you know, 20 to 25,000. And funny enough, I'm still down to do them because we get to be creative and write our own idea. Like I'm, I'm going to make another piece for blue October next month. And I'm so excited. I can't cool. wait. Yeah. It's like we're, you know, rolling up our sleeves, figuring out how to do it, you know, for, for what they have monetarily. And, you know, I get to tell a story, like I'm writing dialogue and I'm able to shape it into a, you know, a short film, because again, it's shown on YouTube. I don't have to worry about MTV and their, you know, they used to have those guidelines. Sure. You know, sure. You know, time. They would literally just cut your video off if you tried to do like some kind of scripted intro or whatever the hell it was, you know? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I would only, at this point, I would only do music videos for people that I like and people that I enjoy to be around because it is such a fucking thrash, you know? And, and by the time you get through it, it's like, all right, am I writing a good idea? Am I putting, what am I invest? What am I giving you my free time for? And if that, exactly. it, you know what I mean? It's like, we're either going to hang out and have beers and have a good fucking time and do like a killer performance piece, or you're going to let me write something that is uh, creative and that will benefit myself as well as you. So 
Right. And I think like, and you know, and all the listeners out there, I think that that, I think that music videos are still such a strong place to start because like, you know, you and I want, you know, you and I are directors, you know, by trade now. And, you know, we do make a living, you know what I mean? Doing what we did. And we were able to get mm-hmm. out of that genre and expand and go make films or go make commercials or go make whatever. But what's cool about music videos is it's, uh, you know, music video school. It's like literally like, okay, great. You know, I got a couple of grips and electricians and stuff. And, you know, I have this concept and this band's playing and, you know, and it's, you get to try different things and, and really create a reel for yourself and kind yeah. of figure out what your style is, you know? Totally, dude. And and you also get to learn how to communicate to a small crew. You actually get to learn that whole process that I think a lot of young filmmakers overlook because we spend so much time caught up in the romance of like, what do my shots mean and what is my style? And it seems very sort of alone, but a lot of folks forget that I would say 95% of our job is social shit and, and actually being able exactly. to communicate with other people. Exactly. And, so, and and your crew, like a group effort. Like I never see myself as people will say this about me on set. I, it's never like I'm the director over there in the chair, just yeah. kind of bark whatever. <laughs> I see it as a, as a group effort. Like I learned very quick to not be, not be like, Hey, this is my new commercial that I made. I always, I always, it's so, it's so subtle, but I'll say, this is our new commercial. Check it out. Like I just posted something on my Instagram yesterday, like new work, you know, thank you to our amazing crew because really it's a group effort. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a team. It's a squad. Totally. (laughs) Totally. You know, like I, I've heard stories of, of Michael Bay because I got a lot of buddies that work on Michael's stuff, Mr. (laughs) Bay's stuff. And he like literally like will kick out the whole crew. Like there's this picture of him I saw on IG the other day, and I'm not going to say who the AC was that that posted it because I don't want to get him in trouble. But basically, you know, it's Michael Bay sitting there, and the whole set's clear, and there's a big helicopter flying, and he's like sitting at you know the wheels on this crane, you know, this techno crane, and there's nobody else there, and like, and that's why. That's why this guy almost says, hey, that's why this guy like posted this picture. It's like he literally kicked out all 75 people that were actually in and around him. <laughs> just so it looks like, like I'm doing it all on my own, man. Fucking ego. Yeah. Fucking yeah. ego. No way, dude. Um, like, that doesn't make any sense. And the guy that, you know, like the Ridley Scotts of the world and the Tony Scotts, that's the first thing I learned from Tony is that like, that dude walks in the set with his pink shorts on and all his stuff and everybody <laughs> high-fiving him. Hey, what's up? And he's yelling and this, and those are his guys. Those are his squad guys and girls, excuse me. You know? And it's like, you know, he, he needed, he needed those people around him because he needed them to, to, you know, work, you know what I mean? And create. And, and he totally appreciated that, you know, always did. Oh, you know what I mean? I, it's so important. I mean, from my perspective, it's such an important thing to have those relationships because we had, I had dry spells. So I'll hit a period of time where work doesn't come in. And so sure. you, it's like, sw- it's like swimming. You have to fucking keep treading water. And so like, if you hit a dry spell, you're like, all right, it's time to do some spec work. It's time to do some shit. And if you're, if you're going to do that kind of work, you're reliant upon these guys that you would normally pay decent money to, to actually be there and actually want to be there. Sure. And and for me, like I just did, uh, I just did a new uh, spec piece with the uh, knives, which came out really fucking rad. 
And we were shooting, uh, I had them shooting on Super Bowl Sunday. A fucking Patriots are in the fucking Super Bowl. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Dude, yeah, totally. And we're at a soundstage. We're at a soundstage. And I forgot that it was Super Bowl Sunday. And so I had booked these guys like two or three weeks in advance. And they're all, of course, like, yeah, we're in. We're down. This is going to be really fucking rad. We're going to build some sets. We're going to do some shit. Awesome. And then we're kicking that week out. And Gina, my girlfriend, goes, you know, it's a fucking Super Bowl on Sunday. I go, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. And I, in my, in my head, I'm going, what time, what time's the Super Bowl at? She's like six 30. And I was like, uh, okay. So we gotta, I gotta do call at eight and I can't, I can't shoot till six, but then I wanted to go just as far. And I was like, here's what we do. We'll get a bunch of smokers. I'm going to get like a fucking uh, 12 racks of ribs, like, like, like fucking yeah. 12 pounds of wings. We're going to have a Super Bowl party in the soundstage. We'll bring a projector. We'll do this whole fucking thing. And we literally, I'm coming down from it. We literally had one of the best fucking shooting experiences ever. And I wish I got to go to that party. That sounds incredible. Dude, it was so much. It was so, dude, it was so much. I have like a chef doing like amazing confit duck stuff on screen. And then we literally had our key grip who, who offered, he volunteered, Greg Tango volunteered to drive from New York to Boston just to be the pit master. He didn't even want to touch any lights on set. No way. That's awesome. Uh, and, and, but that, my point with that whole story is that those are the guys that I want with me when one of these features kicks. These are the guys that I want with me 15 years from now because at the, at the long run of it, it isn't, and I know you feel the same way, Zach. It isn't yeah. just about the one project. For me, it's about the career. It's about this long-running family sort of career thing that I think is so important because our lives are mostly the stupid shit that it takes to put these things together and to get these ideas up and running. And and we have to make that, that shit fucking fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because that's the other thing too is like, you know, with um, – just with perception, it's like, oh, we're shooting this this week and we're shooting this in two weeks and we're shooting this, whatever. Like for me, what even like with my crew, they they appreciate the fact they're like, hey, guess what? So like we're doing the, you know, we're doing a new Chevy commercial and we got four shoot days, you know, the other month. Cool. They they realize and appreciate the fact that I've been working on it for two months yeah. to get through those four days with yeah. all the, you know, various calls with, you know, my agency or, you know, with the production company or with whatever. You know what I mean? There's so much legwork to get you to that finish line. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. Uh, that and and to be able to do it, have fun, like you said, and then be able to do it where, you know, I'll have a question about a light. And hey, I'm I'm writing my treatment and, and blah blah blah, and I have a question about a light, and I can call up Mike Adler, my gaffer, and be like, Hey Adler, dude, what's that one thing? You know, I might not have the knowledge. What's that one light that we used like mm-hmm. you know, projects back? That blah blah blah, because I'd like to describe that in my treatment. You know what I mean? And be able to have that access and do that, or you know, I you know I work with certain guys like Paul Cameron and Bouillon Bazelli and you know Sean Kim and you know. Danny Mindel and Tom Siegel and these like unbelievable cinematographers um, <laughs> to trace it back to, to um, what we're talking about. I, I have access to these guys. Well, Sean Kim's an old friend, but the other guys like Paul and Danny and, you know, beyond and whatnot, they're all old Tony guys. So when it came time, like they used to call me the kid on set. Right. So it's like, 
they're like, I remember when I first got Paul to start shooting with me again, probably like six, seven years ago, when I finally, uh, you know, could afford him. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't be able to pull him in on something. You know, he was like, like, are you effing kidding me, dude? You're directing? And I'm like, man, he's like, oh, my God, why am I not shooting for you? And I'm like, ah. Oh. And he's like, dude, I'm in. Let's do this. And then, like, with all, then I get, you know, I call him Martian, but I get, you know, Martin, um, the camera operators. I get Jimmy Scotch Dopel. I get, like, um, John Scotch Dopel. I get uh, Jimmy's actually an EP, so John Scotch Dopel or Chemo or, like, you know, Martin Shear, like, these guys that were with – with Tony and with Ridley. So for, cool. For so years. cool. And I get to look around set and be like, and they, you know, there's already a love there because I was in the trenches with them. You know, I was totally their whipping boy for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. He got dude. the out of me like in a good way. You know what I mean? And like really we're up against some stuff and, and, um, and to be able to have them with me on my squad, there's a trust there and there's a love there that, you know, I'm not afraid to, Hey, we're, you know, dropping three tons of dirt out of a ceiling right now and i'm trying to figure out how to do it you know i'm not afraid to look over and be like i think that i have the camera in the wrong place yeah like what what if i put it over here what do you think and then a discussion like zach i would recommend doing it over okay sounds good you know what i mean and i get out of my own way you know and and again make it a collaboration versus uh that's directing dude that's good directing that is solid good directing you know, and, and I've witnessed the other, the other thing. I, I went, one of my, my, my DP, uh, David Cruder that I use all the time. We're like, we're like blood brothers at this point. Um, he was on another shoot and, and, uh, this director came to town and he, I'm not going to throw any names out, but he, um, had asked cause he had seen 12 cam and he had asked, uh, if he could work with my crew. And I was like, yeah. And, and whenever someone asks for a referral for crew, I'm always like, please, please take care of them. Because I know that they go off and do a fucking miserable job and then it just infects everybody. And so it's like fucking terrible. And I remember and I went and I visited him on set and this guy was very egocentric and he was kind of a fucking douche. And he's there and, and he's just beating the shit out of the entire crew. And, and I was talking with one of the crew members and they were texting me and they were telling me what a miserable fucking thing it was. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go to set. So I went... And I hung out on set and I just sat down with the director and he knew who I was and he was really nice to me. And he's like, hang out and we'll do this sort of stuff. And I watched how he worked. And, and like halfway through the day, I was like, look, I'm not going to tell you what, you what to do and what not to do. I'm just going to tell you what I'm seeing from the outside and what the crew is saying from the outside. And like right. you re right. really need to step out of your own shoes for a minute here and look around because you're, gonna, you're wasting such wonderful talent. Uh, by doing it this way and he he ended up making some changes which i think is good and it wasn't because of me it was just he needed somebody to just sort of take him out of his ego for a second yeah, check him and be like hey yeah you know like exactly you're you're in you're in our world i don't know like i you know i live in la as you know and it's like i i've always had respect for that but you know if i'm in Boston and I'm shooting or, you know, New York crews are completely different than our LA crews. A lot of times I'll take guys with me. Like I'll take my keys with me, but like, you know what I mean? It's, Hey, we're in your town. We have to have respect for what's happening. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Read the fucking Orleans, room, you know? Yeah. New Orleans gets a lot of shit because there's, you know, they're, they're kind of slow, you know, there's like it, but again, everybody's got to remember like 
New Orleans isn't Hollywood, guys, or even New York City. It's like we're we're in a, a fantastic city, and there are really good guys that work there. And if a movie's in town or a TV show's in town, that's where those really good guys are working. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? You're going to have you know, like some up-and-comers. You're going to have some other people, you know, that that might not be – you know, as knowledgeable as you are. And that's cool. You know, you just kind of got to plan for that. And you got to be like, hey, guess what? You know, this this setup might take us 45 minutes here in town. It's going to take us two hours because we're in a different place. We're going to have to explain what, you know, what we're talking about. This seems like the perfect place to stop and uh, do a little bit of housekeeping here. It's uh, sponsor read time. Uh, and you guys know and love the sponsors that support this show. So let's do the plugs. Uh, first up, our good buddies at Puget Systems. If you are out there in the world and you're looking for a brand new computer, if you're out there in the world looking for a brand new computer, uh, you don't have to buy an Apple. You don't need to buy a Mac to be a professional. You don't need one to be a professional filmmaker, a professional editor, or a professional photographer. Um, there's so much great, there's so many great options out there in the PC world. Uh, and if you're using Adobe stuff and Adobe products, what difference does it make? You know what I mean? Uh, and I find that the stuff that I use on my PCs actually run better, run faster. Uh, the PCs that I have from Puget Systems are upgradable. So once the hardware needs to change, I don't have to throw the whole damn thing out. I can just swap stuff out of the case. Um, I never understood why they went in the direction, the competitors went in the direction of making it look like a cool, shiny little trash can that can't be upgraded. I never got that. But anyway, I'm rambling. My point is that if you're looking for a new computer, head on over to PugetSystems.com. They make it really simple and easy for you. All I gotta do is go over there. You could actually plug in the software that you're using or going to use, and they'll start you out with a baseline package that'll work perfectly for it. And then you can customize it to your heart's content. And these guys do such a great job putting together the systems and shipping them to you safely. Uh, and they have solid customer support. This is what's really exciting about them, is that you're not dealing with some automated system, support system, and waiting two, three days for someone to get back to you with a simple answer. Uh, these guys are a family-owned company. Um, they're phenomenal. I have two systems that I've been cutting everything I do on. So all the movies, 12 cam, all the commercials, everything has been cut on a PC for over three years now. Uh, and I work with and collaborate with different vendors and mixing houses and, and uh, color grading places. And there are ways to make it so that your PC will read a Mac drive. So it'll be able to read and write to a Mac drive. So if you're collaborating with people that are still on the Mac, uh, you, can, you can still transport those drives between both systems without a problem. Uh, and that final hurdle, by the way, the only thing that was a pain in the ass on being a PC was that uh, Apple owned the rights to ProRes, but it's been released and you can now run out ProRes on a PC, guys. So all those editors out there that are listening, that was the final step. So. Do yourself a favor, buy a new system, save yourself some money, and get a super fast 4K edit system on PugetSystems.com.
Next up, our buddies at Rule Boston Camera. If you are an independent filmmaker and or photographer, and uh, you wanna be shooting with the latest and greatest gear, but it's you find it so incredibly difficult to keep up with technology, because I know I do. Uh, all your clients are constantly reading those trade magazines or reading online shit about the newest, latest, and greatest camera, and you still haven't paid off the last one, right? And half the time when you're dealing with the clients, they're asking for a deal on the camera package. So how the hell are you ever gonna pay back that initial investment? Well, here's the trick. Go work with a rental house. Go make friends with your local rental house. It's really easy to do. They'll have access to all the newest gear. You can charge for that gear. Uh, your clients will be happy because you have customer support, local customer support. So if you're on set and one of your pieces of equipment go down, I know Rule does it here. Uh, Rule Boston Camera will do it. They will send someone out with a replacement piece of equipment. That's super awesome. So like a lot of the online rental places, they don't do that for you. They have their place, but go find a local place. And if you are in the New England area, uh, anywhere north of New York, um, Rule Boston Camera is the spot. They have everything you need. They have amazing training seminars. If you're a young person and you're afraid of rental houses for some reason, call them up. Go hang out. Talk with one of the... Uh, the uh, rental support dudes or one of the rental sales guys. I guess that's what you would call them. <laughs> but Nick over there, he's a blast. And Brian, he's a blast. I know all those guys by first name because I've been working with them for over 15 years. Think about that. How, long, how often can you say that you've had a working relationship with someone for over 15 years and they have supported and they continue to support this show? So Rule Boston Camera, check them out. So also, I'm gonna take a second during the plugs here to actually plug our good friend, Code Electro. Code Electro does all the music for this show. He's fantastic. I love him. Uh, Martin's his real name. I hope he doesn't hate me for saying that. Uh, but he's a sweet dude, amazing guy. He's part of this whole new retro wave scene that has been uh, popular for quite some time, but he knows what he's doing. Uh, and if you go to his website, that's Code Electro. That's with a K, so it's Code E L E K T R O dot com. Uh, that's where you can get all of his music, and you've heard a lot of it on this show. Uh, and he's got some amazing vinyl bundles, uh, amazing art on all this stuff and his sound is fantastic. And I feel like the luckiest guy in the world to be able to be talking over his music, the stuff that you're hearing in the background right here. Hold on. Code Electro. Check him out, guys. Um, also, if you want to support this show, and there are two ways to do it. One, go to inloveoftheprocess.com. Uh, there I have a donation button. I think it's like a $5 donation button. Any money that I get from you guys go back into the show. Helps me pay for audio gear. Helps me pay for subscription fees. You'd be surprised at all the little costs that it takes to run a podcast. They tally up. Um, you can get throw me a $5 donation through PayPal, I think is the way it works. Very simple. But if you're like me and your wallet is tight and you can't really afford to do that, 
The best way to get money to the show is to sign up for the free trial at audibletrial.com. I think it's audibletrial backslash in love with the process. Um, I'll put the link below the episode. I always fuck that up. I'll put the link below the episode. But uh, sign up for the free 30-day trial, which also comes with a free book, audiobook on there. And uh, everybody that signs up, we get a little bit of money, which is great. And it's a trial period. So run through that trial period, see if you like it. I know you will. But if you don't, you can cancel within 30 days. We still get paid. It's a good deal. So check it out. Go to Audible Trial. I think it's audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. I'll put the link under the episode because I'm such a piece of shit with that. Okay. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Thanks. Here in town, it's going to take us two hours because we're in a different place. We're going to have to explain what, you know, what we're talking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you plan for that, and then honestly, if you inspire that, if you actually inspire these guys to step up to your speed, because especially if you're working in one of these outside cities, they are just like all of us enamored with the crews that work on the big jobs. They're enamored with those big, big things. And half the time they're working at that speed because they never really get the opportunity to step up that big because most of the shit, like the day to day nine to five fucking shit that they do, especially in Boston, Boston's rough right now. And it's a great city to work in because it's got a solid tax incentive and there are amazing fucking crews here. But yeah, but Oftentimes you're either dealing with top of the top of the line, like a David O. Russell crazy man shit, or you're yeah. dealing with like very low budget, like really shady fucking producers that are like trying to cut deals and all that kind of stuff. So their day to day isn't necessarily that, that ground out system that exists in Los Angeles where it's like you're, you're generations into a co- like a your cog in a wheel that's been around for generations at that point. Right. Um, and I think if you understand that when you go to different cities, then you can plan for that. You know what I mean? Exactly. And then I think, you know, you said something there that I think is really interesting is that I just thinking about, you know, directing for as long as we have been, the two of us, but also in thinking about um, crews and people that you work with, you know, the conversations that that I have with Paul Cameron for the first time when I stepped up and like now I'm working with guys like Paul or guys like Boyan or Daniel, whoever, you know, people I mentioned, mm-hmm. like the questions that they asked me on the phone as a director were far different than than like, you know, my buddy the DP that shot, you know, <laughs> the, my third music video with me. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's like, hey, so what lens is this? And then would you want to use this? And what about it? And they're throwing out gear that I got no effing idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, sure, no, that sounds awesome. You know, and like, but what it what it did is it made me, you know, step up my game greatly. And that like, hey, you know, I would literally like speed dial like i'd literally write down everything paul asked me and then i would go on my own and do a little research and sniff around and be like okay now i really understand what he's talking about and i can have an edumacated conversation with him. <laughs> you know what I mean? and like and literally come back and be like hey okay yeah dude what if we did this what if we did this and here's a great reference this is what i'm talking about you know <clears throat> blah 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 yeah and uh and you know over time you know, there, there is a mutual re- respect there, 
you know what I mean? That, that, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for, and I know he is too. Like we become really good friends, but it's like, you know, I'm not scared anymore to be like, Hey man, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Can we like, okay, okay. So what this movie thing is that, you know, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Well, I know what a movie is, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like, sure, whatever, sure. Sure. Everything is, you know, um, he, he's like, Hey, and this is how I do it. Cause I'm like, all right. Cause I'm on set and I got 75 people looking at me. I don't want to call for the wrong thing. You know what I mean? I want to keep everybody cool. And to go, go further back on what you were saying, I've been around, there's a, I, he's in a lot of trouble lately, so I can say his name out loud, but I, I did a couple of jobs with Brian Singer uh-huh. and I've seen Brian Singer, you know, I know he's in the news for some other stuff and I never really saw any of that, you know, um, and I worked with him for a long time. Um, whatever he wanted to do, that was his own private thing. Sure. But he is the kind of guy that smashes monitors on set. You know, I, I AD'd with him a couple of times and, and, uh, you know, I, I was very lucky that I never, I've never gotten yelled at by Brian Singer, but I've seen him like go bananas and then everybody on set for the rest of the day is kind of like walking on eggshells or whatever and just kind of stressed out like, dude, I don't want to see that happen again. And then I think that affects the work. Yes. You know, then what you're actually putting on film is sort of, you know, not a hundred percent because the stupid director is being a prick. You know what I mean? And like flipping out or whatever. Dude, you know, dude, I will, I will take full responsibility. I've done that. I did that once. I did that once years ago. And that was when we were directing the Meshuggah video and I was doing the Meshuggah video and um, I was running into problems with, we're good friends now, we've worked on everything, but me and my production designer were at each other's throats. And I, I remember showing up one day and uh, he didn't design what I thought he was designing. And now, given years, you know, a couple of years between the, the events and now, I know that it is my fucking fault because I'm the director and I'm the one that's supposed to be conveying what I, what's in my head and I did a shitty fucking job doing it. But I was under so much stress on that day, and I remember losing it. And I fucking lost it. I was tossing chairs, and I was fucking screaming. And I walked out, and then I came back, and I looked around at the devastation that that caused emotionally. And immediately felt like the biggest piece of shit. And then the, the work suffered that day because of it. For sure. And, and then you're kind of like, you're like, because you know, like at least with me, like, hey, I know I just <clears throat> freaked out and like, said some things I didn't mean and, and pissing people off. And then the way my personality is, I can't just like sort of let that roll off. I like, I'll think about it for the next eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I told him that he's a fuck up and like, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. I've done that, but you know what I mean? Like I, I've, I've, I've had situations like that where funny enough, my crew has been like, Wait, you were upset, dude. <laughs> You're the nicest I, guy. You're the nicest guy. Red, and I've like gone in and like sat in the bathroom stall on the sound stage or something and just been in there and pull my feet up and be like, I'm gonna fucking kill somebody. <laughs> and then like, like come back out and be like, hey guys, all right. So let's go. What are you doing today, huh? <laughs> and now, now they can tell now where they're like, you know what, we're not, we're you know, we're not delivering and you know, it's funny enough, like sometimes it's like you can plan stuff to a fault. And I've had a couple of those where everything works, everything. It's like Bruce the shark and Jaws. Like the stunt's going to work, the stunt's going to work, the stunt's going to work. 
And then, bam, it's time to roll camera. And the fucking lift for the truck coming out of the floor is broken. And, it, you know, the things snap loose. And, like, you know, <laughs> I had something like that with one of my Silverado ads. And the fucking the, – the, um, whatever, the, the, the thing on the side that was lifting the truck up snapped out. So this big piece of steel essentially went right in and dug into the side of the sheet metal of the truck and cut it open. Jesus. <laughs> Of course, like the truck isn't out yet, and there's only one on the west coast, you know. And we're all just sitting there looking at each other, like, don't lose a temper, don't lose a temper, you know. It's like nothing that that my Evan Rohde, my brilliant production designer, nothing he did wrong, nothing that you know, John Frazier, the guys that made the rig did wrong. It's just you know, a fluke. You know what I mean? Like some bolt snap that's never snapped before. And then, you know, it's effed everything up and it's like, all right, let's focus and uh, let's go shoot something else. Yeah. And we'll, we'll do this tomorrow, I guess, you know, but you know, surviving those moments now I've learned this surviving those moments. You feel so much better about it because like you said, it's beyond your fucking control. So there's nothing you can do about it. But if you handle it that way and you somehow get through it together and the back end, it's a war story that you can talk about. And you know what it is, too, is I think when when we're younger, there's so much more stress on everything we do. It's pretty, I think it's self-imposed stress more than anything else, yes. where you're like, fuck, I got to do this. I got to pull this off. Everything's going to be fucking perfect. Um, and that anxiety is just in there. It's like, t- it's like shaving fucking years off of your life. Right. And you're trying to manage this fucking anxiety. And it isn't until you just sort of let that go. And you go, look, I've done everything I can do. I've got people around me that I trust. Um, let's just let's just go and see what happens. And if you if, then it becomes more fun. And then the shoot becomes more fun. And you're actually walking off set and smiling as opposed to getting pissed off at these little fucking things that Exactly. You know? And I like I'll do something like because I get funny enough, I get that anxiety still when I'm dealing with celebs. Yeah. Right. Like I, you know, I've done some stuff with Adam Levine. I feel bad that it was like Maroon 5's performance. <laughs> with Adam Levine and he and I get along really well. And, uh, and like Peyton Manning, I did a bunch of comedy stuff with Peyton and, you know, I, let's talk about Peyton for a sec. Like I, I did my research. I'm buddies with this guy, Greg pop, this director that does all like the Papa John's ads and stuff. Yep. We're used to I don't know what's happening with Papa John's anymore. But anyway, with Peyton Manning was in a bunch of that stuff. And so I did my research and I called up and was like, all right, pop, I know you've directed like a bazillion things with him. What's he like? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, like, you know, I'm not the kind of director that does 20 takes, you know, but I'm like, I have a feeling that Peyton Manning's like a one and done kind of guy. Right. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Right. And he was, he's basically like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, you got two, wait, it's a two and done. And I'm like, all right. Like, it's like, he's the kind of guy, like he'll come in, he'll do his line. He wants notes and then he does it again and then you move on. And so I, I remember the morning I, I did some stuff with him um, for a brand called Otterbox. It was really fun. And, uh, and you know, it's all these cool comedy ads, but we had a lot to do, you know, because sure. again, with celebrity stuff, you know, like what I did with Celine Dion, it's like, okay, you got this much time, but they're in this much makeup. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're going to come out and say, really, you're only on set with them for about four hours. And by the way, we're shooting three different commercial concepts. Yay. Yay. You know, so, 
<laughs> I like literally I'm up and to get that energy out. And the other thing too, is you don't get to talk to the celeb before you shoot day, right? You've been talking to their manager for the last two weeks, you know what I mean? And you've been in plenty of calls with him, you know, or her and, and the ad agency. And then it's like, so you never really get to, you know, there's that awkward, like, sure. hi, Peyton Manning. My name is Zach Merck. Like at the beginning of the day, you know, and so I get up and I, what I'll do is my crew makes fun of me because every time we're on the road, I'll be in the gym at four 30 in the morning, like on the treadmill, just trying to work out weird energy. So I move and I'm like ready to rock. Now I'm not hyperactive, but I come in and I'm focused because it's wild. It's like that buildup and that stress that I put on myself beforehand and then i get there and then we're on set and the cameras are rolling and i look around i see all my guys and girls and i relax i go yep. and i'm like oh, here we are like we're back in my little family world and i love this and it was really cool with peyton because peyton peyton treated it like i don't know like he's starring in a movie or something like he's one of the i loved working with him because he actually did his homework he knew his lines so and he'd cool. be like so my character in this one, right? And I was like, and he's asking me questions <laughs> like that. Like, what do you want me to be? And all that stuff. And it's like, and he'd straight up, like we, like Pop told me, he like came in, he'd do his line, then he leaves set and he wants to go and sit by himself. He doesn't want to like be out there with everybody else. And I totally respect that. That's cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it would be like, all right, Peyton, that was great. Now what I need you to do is you come in. Oh, this is this. And then we had a great day. I ended up shooting him out three. I had him for six hours. I got him out of there two and a half hours early. So he was so pumped. Oh, he must have been pumped, yeah. And then, like, bam, like, okay, two takes, next. Two takes, swing the lens. Two takes, next. You know what I mean? Like, boom, boom, boom. And just got it done. And he really appreciated that. And so, anyway, I know we got got off on a tangent, but I was just talking about, like, putting that stress on myself. Like I was terrified the first time I worked with Adam Levine and I was like, cause I straight up, it just heard like, he's, he's a dick. <laughs> you know? I'm like, I'm so ready. Like he's going to talk down to me. He's going to be this, he's, you know, just going to act like an a-hole all day. And we were doing a bunch of pharma stuff with him. And so what I did is I hired a DP named Shadow Dietrichson that shot like six Maroon five videos. Nice. So I knew in my head, that was my strategy. Like, Mr. Levine knows that, you know, Shettle's going to be there and be filming him. Smart, you know what I mean? smart dude. And so, right. And then he's going to make him look good. And, you know, then he just had to deal with me. And then it was kind of fun because, you know, my, my ad agency was Digitas and that Digitas health, like, you know, there are all the, this great circle of girls I've worked with a bunch of times. And they, of course, think he's like the hottest thing on the planet. I remember, <laughs> I remember that day that we shot, he got a phone call, like, say it like, I don't know, start shooting at like 10 o'clock in the morning or something. And, and he gets a call at like 1030 and he found out that he was People, People Magazine's like sexiest <laughs> man alive like, while we were on set. And like, you know, the ad agency ladies were like, oh my God. And so then the, you know, then the pictures started, you know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, so, um, but it was a great experience and I did a similar thing. I went in there with that strategy and I just knew my shots and knew what I wanted to get done. And I got him out of there, you know what I mean? Yep. In out, and on with it. So any like little things like with like hands opening things up or moving things around, I just had a hand model. You know what I mean? And just like, I just did all of the heavy lifting that I needed to do with him and get it done. And then I went in and shot some of the cutaways and the other stuff that they needed. Smart. You know so I mean? smart, dude. And I'm happy that you told that story because 
those are insider tips that they don't fucking teach you. You know what I mean? And you just know, and that's probably from your years of experience producing is that, you know, what you're in for, you know, how to actually circumvent this stuff and how important it is to get that main talent, like to get them off set early. They must've been fucking pumped about that. Oh, absolutely. Or like even things like, you know, putting an artist in the rain, you know what I mean? Things like this, like there's significant, like people are like, Oh my God, it's going to be raining out. Sure. It's it's misery. Okay. But man, exactly. This, the, you know, action scenes take a long time to shoot for a reason Mm -hmm. because, you know, you're punching somebody in the face and they're flying back through a door and there's some sort of stunt involved or there's live rounds on set or whatever the hell it is, you know, like, um, all of that stuff takes, takes time. And it's like, you know, some people like, you know, they're with money or whatever, they're trying to like squeeze a bunch of stuff into the day. And, you know, there's, there's times where, you know, before we shoot where I have sort of a, I call it a come to Jesus with everybody. And I'm like, Hey, listen guys. Okay. So look, you want me to do, mm-hmm. you know, these beautiful car shots, but we got to remember that at either end of the day, we got about two, three hours where your car is going to look good. If we're trying to shoot this vehicle at, at two o'clock, no matter who the DP is or where the hell we are in the world, it's not going to look good. You know what I mean? And that's the way it goes. So we really need to push this into another day yep. and we can pare down the crew, but let's figure let's wrap our heads around how to do that and still make your budget. You know what I mean? Yep. And, uh, and be able to do it well because you know, you don't want to shoot a bunch of crap either. And like with things like action scenes, like breaking those down and really, I, I'm still like an old school storyboard guy. Mm-hmm. I do my little sketches that they're better than stick people with arrows, but I'll do my little <laughs> sketches. And then I have a, a brilliant storyboard artist I take with me everywhere. And he and I will sit, him, me and Jared will sit and like really draw everything out. And I acted out and I looked all kooky. <laughs> Look at my office over at RS Day there. I'll be like crawling around on the floor and standing in the corner and I'm playing every character. So I can, you know, Jared can draw it. <laughs> you know, great. But it's awesome because then I can go in and really be armed and prepared and be like, okay, great. So my brilliant AD, Garrett Freeberg. Garrett, all right, Dave, my producer. Guys, this is what I need to do. What do you think? Do we start wider and work in? Do we do this? Am I able to, you know, do these three car shots and be able to drop the camera from the ceiling as it's coming down with all this dirt? You know, what are the turnaround times with the producing that I've done? I already have an idea in my head. Hey, this, this, we started with rain. This rain thing is really going to take about an hour and a half, two hours. Because guess what? Every time the car gets wet, I got to wipe it down Mm -hmm. because I can't have a bunch of bubbles all over it. You know what I mean? And whatever. And then thinking about a poor actor that you got to stick out there yeah you know it's like hey listen maybe we want to spray this down with two cameras so we can do it in two takes but have four options you know what i mean versus um you know doing everything one at a time well yeah dude and you know speaking of the car stuff um i mentioned this in the intro for the show uh that most people I would say almost all the listeners of this show have seen your, seen your, oh, your Chevy yeah. work, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I was very happy to be able to see the way you work on your set um, and actually watch. I, it was funny because I, I got to sit in the truck behind you while you're directing. And, and for, you know, being a cynical fucking Boston 
uh, filmmaker, when I originally saw those ads and not talked to you about them, I'm like, oh, they cast these fucking people. Yeah, no, totally. You know what I mean? I mean, I mock it's the guy that makes fun of my ads, Mark or whatever for Boston. Yeah. Have you ever seen like, does it, he's got a zebra corner or whatever. I don't know. Him. He, he makes so much fun. And I think, honestly, I think they're hilarious. Like, I love it, but like, it is totally playing on that. That like, Hey, we forced these people to say this. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. and totally, as now you're seeing, that's not the scenario at all. They, you know, they, they think they're coming to this cool focus group, you know? And like, we don't, we don't advertise it. It's Chevy, we don't, whatever. So they get in there. And truthfully, when we started out, a lot of people didn't know who Potch was, you know, he wasn't on every friggin' commercial break. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like when we, you know, we've been doing this. We just had started our fifth year with this campaign, which is wild. That's crazy, dude. It's awesome. awesome. And, and long story short, you know, now people come in and they're like, Holy shit, dude, it's a Chevy guy, man. It's a Chevy commercial. You know, and so sometimes there's obviously people that don't make the final edit because they're like, I love the car. The car is awesome. Holy shit, I want to buy one right now because they want to get on. The Chevy guy, there's going to be a Chevy ad. But, you know, there's funny enough, that's why we, if you go back and you really look at the commercials, we only really cut him into the ads once or twice each ad because we still do our best to sort of you know shield his face so we really surprise people like we'll have these cool elaborate stunts and they'll come in and they're like yeah this guy's kind of familiar i don't really know where to place him and we'll get genuine responses and then the, the part that kills me anytime people doubt is that there are people that come in that are like i fucking hate this car i do not like it it's <laughs> not there's a blah, 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 you know what I mean? Or whatever. And they'll rip it apart. And we're all sitting in the back room there where you were with all, you know, my little control room and laughing and like the ad agencies and they're laughing and Posh does his best to like dig himself out of the hole, you know? And of course, you know, with our advertising, we're not going to advertise, you know, um, those, those responses, but sometimes I want to so bad. Oh, dude. Like, like, Hey, if you like, you know, that to me, it's like the ultimate reality. Like, guess what? These people aren't just paid to say, awesome, cool. It looks great. It's that they're, they're in there and they're really picking apart. Stuff, you know? Well, so the funny, here's a funny story. I don't know if I, I don't know if you got all this when I went and visited. Um, you told me about this before and you're like, look, we actually go out and we, we spend time finding real people and we sort of bring these people in and do all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. You know? And it really didn't uh, occur to me. And then you were like, come, come hang out. And so you were shooting at, uh, like at the airport. So you were shooting at the airport. Yeah. And you gave me an address. And so I take a fucking lift or whatever. I go out there and, uh, the guy drops me off and he goes, I think it's, I think it's back here somewhere. You know, and I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks, buddy. Get out of the car. <laughs> and so I'm looking around for address stuff and I'm trying to figure out like where you would be. And I, I don't want to bug you. So I'm like, sort of doing this walk around and I look at to this parking lot and there's like no one except for like this little pop-up tent. And I'm just sort of walking, walking over to the pop-up tent area and I'm, I'm just reading my text or my email or whatever it was. And uh, someone comes out from underneath the pop-up tent area and they're like, are you here? Are you here for the survey? And I'm like, no, no, no. And I'm not, not even really thinking about it. I'm like, no, I'm here. I'm here to see my buddy. And they're like, 
are you here for the survey? He asked me again. I go, no, nah, I'm here to see my buddy Zach. And he goes, what are you looking for? He says to me, what are you looking for? And I go, I, I just, I, I'm here to see my buddy Zach. And he goes, uh, what address? And I give him the address. He goes, come with me. I think the security guard inside uh, knows where you're supposed to go. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I start following him. Right. And we get away from the tent where there are all these people. And he goes, I don't want you to blow it. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did I fucking blow it? He goes, no, no. And I go, fuck, I didn't even think about that. And he's like, oh, those are all the people that don't know they're here for a commercial. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, tell me right now if I fucking blow it because I am not going back there if I fuck this, yeah. this thing up. And he's like, no, no, you're good, man. And I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, you've seen it now. Like that's what we do our best. Like we hide all the cameras and we like, yeah. you know, the – you know, we have our pre-light days and all this kind of stuff. So all of our production trucks and all that was hidden like back behind the building, you know? So like wherever we are, we've been, you know, on the top of Mount Evans, we've been, you know, in, in Colorado, we've been all over the country. And, and the thing is, is like when they arrive, all cameras are hitting everything. They go to that, you know, I have this little cool little marketing company that I started that does focus group research. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they sign in there and then, you know, then they're led into whatever room we're, we're filming in. But, you know, um, like I said, now they sometimes people recognize Potch, you know, and, and they know him as the Chevy guy. But there was a long time where people came and went. And they had no idea they were in a commercial. That's so crazy. You know what I mean? And, like, and then what's cool is, is then, you know, Chevy does the right thing. So after they're, they're in the ads, um, you know, those real folks end up getting residuals, you know, like they'll get Taff Hartley. And um, it, it's an exciting thing. I get, I get some cool Christmas presents. <laughs> you know what I mean? People are like, oh my God, dude, I came down and I didn't even know I was going to be in an ad. And then it was, um, you know, the playoffs, you know what I mean? And like, and I just got a residual check and I'm freaking out, you know, and they'll find out like who picked them to be in it. And I'll like get a sweet card in the mail or, you know, email or something. Thank you so much, dude. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. Dude, it yeah. was cool, man. It was very cool to watch you work and then just hanging out because like you said, you hide all the cameras. Uh, although, the set that you guys had built in that, like I couldn't, maybe it's just because I work in the business, but I couldn't walk in there and look at the fucking ceiling and see that giant light panel and be like, oh. Yeah, no, it was like we were, we, we were calling that room the death Yeah, <laughs> it was cool. It was, you know it was mean? cool. We had all car covers like yanking back underneath and all that stuff. And it was like, you know, the, you, you definitely, we had like those two giant light boxes and, yeah, you know, that's the thing. That's the that's the takeaway. Is you you know, it's still got to look brilliant, and that's what I think that we do is that we have like the sleek, clean vibe of of a car commercial, you know, but we maintain our our real people aesthetic. You know what I mean? And 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 work with real folks, and that's why those just all of those commercials are exciting, and everything is live too. Like when we pulled. The, you know, the one, it was called Up that I did a couple of summers ago mm -hmm. where we pulled all the cars out of the floor. You remember that? So where it's crazy. Like, that set is so crazy. It was like from the Olympics, I think, right? And it was like people came into that room and then, you know, we had four stories of cars that got pulled out of the floor. People just assume like, oh, that's CGI, man. And I'm like, no. You know what it is? It's, it's, a, it's a live experience. And truthfully, I, I'm going to take a little credit and then I give 
you know, a lot of credit to Evan Rohde, my production designer, but I, I got that board and I had to figure out how to bring this to life in real time with real people. And I'm like, holy crap, what place is going to let me demo four stories down into the ground and pull these cars out of it? doesn't make any sense. And straight up, I was standing there at Coachella with my wife and, you know, Kimo, a couple of my other friends. And I'm staring at the main stage of Coachella and we're watching bands. And then suddenly it was like, you know how it is. Like you just think about work all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, ding, 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 ding. I was like, wait a second. If I, if I took that stage, I asked my buddy Craig that was with me. He's one of the guys that helps put it together. I'm like, how far off the ground is that stage? Like 15 feet. So what's this? What's this? And I get all this info. How much can you hang from like the crossbars, like the actual staging up top? And he's like, oh, it's like 100,000 pounds of speakers, you know? And I was like, holy crap. I literally call Evan and I was like, I got it. What if we took the main stage of Coachella and put it in, like there's this awesome blimp hanger out here in Tustin, uh-huh. right? And it's got like 100 foot ceilings. I was like, we could take the fucking stage, put it inside that building. And then, you know, the, the age old rule, we only see what the camera sees. Right. What I can do is, is I can create, like, imagine the top of the stage becomes the wood floor. And what I did, and I came up with this whole thing in, like, 20 minutes. So I don't know if I was on crazy drugs or what, but I, like, literally, <laughs> I literally, like, what we could do is, is beneath that stage, we built, a like, a train track system. And I put each of the each of the cars on those discs. I gutted them, right? So they didn't weigh as much as they normally yep. do. And I put all of those cars on these discs. And then what I did is I did a pulley system where we would have everything on those train tracks. So we would literally hook it up and send it up through the floor. So the people are up on top of on top of this stage essentially. They checked in outside. They were brought down like a cool dark like hallway, you know, and up these steps. And again, they're just thinking they're going to this focus group. They're not thinking anything of it. And they came into the room and there's Potch and he starts talking to them. And then suddenly, you know, I framed out the four corners of the big giant stage, Mm -hmm. right? Like the big poles, essentially, that all crisscross in the center. So essentially, in real time, we started to pull all those cars up. So first car goes up through the hole. Then we hook up the second car to that first car, then the third car, then the fourth car. So I was able to pull (laughs) all of that weight out because – Again, like they they are real people, and so that was a huge stunt. But whatever we're doing, they need to be able to react to it. So, with real people, not actors, we're never in a space where I can digitally recreate something, right? And 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 have people really react to it. If you're like, imagine if this looked like this, what would you say? You know what I mean? Like that isn't gonna work. So you have to really do it and then be able to do it in real time and then do it multiple times a day. Like you came out, it's like. You know, it isn't just like we do one focus group and we're done. You know, we shoot six hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? So every every hour we have a focus group. Dude, it's so. so cool, man. And it was rad to see. It was really cool to have my cynical perception of it sort of shattered, which was great. Uh, <laughs> but then, you know, also to be able to be in that space and then to be uh, able to see you hanging out with your DP and your AD and seeing that sort of camaraderie, it was really nice because from my perspective – I saw your guys there and I saw my guys, you know what I mean? And it was sort of like, it's the same fucking thing. It's, it, it, it is really sure. nice to see a fellow director that has a groove and that is kind and very talented, dude. Oh, so 
Awesome. Awesome. You say that. No, I mean, I, I think it goes right back to the beginning of our conversation is I just think that there's a value in, in, you know, sharing war stories and sharing technique and you know what I mean? And I embrace that because I have met directors that are like, eh, you know, sure. like, Hey, I'm going to check this out. I don't know. It's like, I get, maybe it's my circle of friends, but like my circle of director buddies and some of them have made lots of movies and some of them haven't, but it's like, Hey man, like, will you come over and just like, they're in the edit room. I can't, I can't wrap my head around this. Can you come over and check this out and give me your perspective? I don't know what the film is about, what the hell <laughs> they shot, but I have to come in and just be blunt and, you know, and have somebody respect you, you know, enough to be able to do that. I think it's, I think it's valuable. I think it's super cool, you know, and, and you go back to, you know, I'm, I'm a total film nerd at heart. And, you know, I go back to like, I geek out, you know, I have that thing, Dawn and Nostalgia that I do on Instagram where I do the movie posters. Mm-hmm. Did I you know about yeah, that? Yeah. Okay. So it's like, you know, my dad was a movie theater manager, right? So I, I've been going to the movies since I was fucking, I don't know, five years old. Right. And so I I love doing my little Dawn and Nostalgia blog and, you know, I post a poster every day and I tell stories and talk about, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And I've always geeked out at, you know, that that circle of friends where you got your Steven Spielbergs and your Martin Scorsese's and John Milius and George Lucas and, you know, all of these legends, De Palma, all of these legends all those dudes were a squad yeah. and they all like helped each other out and like gave each other points on like, Hey, Steven was the first to go. So he gave like points, you know, on his movies to the other guys so they could pay their rent. You know what I mean? Cause they were struggling filmmakers and, you know, and then they'd reciprocate and they're, Hey, you know, there's, I just posted jaws last night. Right. <laughs> and there's that whole story where like Bruce, the shark of course was working until they got him out, you know, to Martha's vineyard there. And, they tested them in, in fresh water instead of salt water. You know what I mean? So in salt water, the whole thing clammed up and it didn't work anymore. But there's this great story where like Steven Spielberg, like totally wanted to show off the shark. So he grabs John Milius and George Lucas and they sort of sneak into the warehouse, like where, where the fish is like after hours and they're all fucking around with it and sticking their head in the mouth and like taking photos. And George Lucas really got trapped. Like the, the (laughs) shark function and he's in there and then they like finally get him free they, they open up the mouth and they like steven's like we gotta get out of here we're gonna get in fucking trouble <laughs> you know what I mean? like, he's gonna come in and get mad at me because i just you know cause an issue you know or whatever i'm not supposed to be in here and uh but i do love that like dude you're the director you're allowed to be in here. but also like you know it's kind of neat like hey i'm so excited about this i want to show it show it off and let me see what you think you know i remember i remember um you know, I I had a I had a time with with Tony and with uh, with Ridley when I was an intern, where you know Ridley had just finished Gladiator, mm-hmm. and Ron Howard was starting A Beautiful Mind, and Russell Crowe at that point was like in the bar, you know what I mean? Like between takes, <laughs> he just like that's what he did, you know. And I was privy to a conversation and I don't need to go in detail so I don't get anybody in trouble. But basically Ron Howard called up Tony and called up Ridley and I put the, you know, matched them up on the phone together and put them all on the line. And Ron Howard was like, not close to tears, but like, I don't know how to fucking control this guy. 
like, what do I got to say for Russell Crowe to respect me? You know, it, and he won the Oscar for Beautiful Mind. You know what I mean? You know, like it was like, but I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. And Ridley being like, you got to fucking do this. You got to be here on time and blah, blah, Because he, you know, he'd be doing Gladiator and then he'd go to the pub, you know, like in the middle of the day. Yep. And then he'd go in and be like, all right, you know, get back on your swords and sandals and let's go back and do this thing, dude. You know what I mean? And like, and basically have that sort of authority where, hey, I got to, you know, get control of my actor. And, you know, you think about the two different personalities there, like, you know, Ridley obviously is a very different person and a very different director than Ron. Yeah, Howard. for sure. You know, Ron, I feel like Ron Howard's more like us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey man, all right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ridley is like a force, you know, and I think we're a force too. I don't want to down us, but you know what I mean? Sure, Just a different, sure, sure. Like, you know, like Ron Howard does his master class, you know what I mean? Workshop. And that to me makes a lot of sense because he's Ron, yeah. you know? <laughs> So you got you got you know Australian Russell Crowe who's like kind of in his prime and is like fuck you I'm like you know the biggest star on the planet right now and you can't tell me what to do kind of attitude Unreal. you know yeah. going from movie to movie and here it is and it's like you know directors talking going okay listen I've been given the opportunity to direct this fantastic movie with this guy who's an angel <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know what I mean? How how can I get him to come back to planet Earth and, and be able to finish this movie with him? You know, and do it. That's well. such a cool fucking phone call, man. That is such a rad yeah. call. That, like and you know something I've also learned in my, my limited time out being out there now and pitching and making movie shit happen. The assistants it's a great position, man. The assistants run everything. I try I try to make friends with every fucking assistant that I meet. Because they, yeah. you know, you know, from coming over to you know to Ridley's world, you know, with with all of your stuff, like, dude, you gotta know Vera, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, like you know, and then it's and they're they become gatekeepers, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you know, yeah, um, yeah it's so cool, dude, it's so fucking rad. Um, well, let me just sort of circle this thing back, and because uh, we've been chatting and it's good, we're in a good spot. Um, yep. Let me ask this. Because uh, I started the show and I started the uh, intro with sort of at what point, because it seems like everybody that I'm talking to, every director that I talk to, young or old, they're always sort of waiting for the next step. And they're like, you never really get comfortable. Do you do you right. feel like you're comfortable at this point as a director? Because you're, you're trying to get the feature stuff rolling, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that's, I think that that, what you just said creates a certain energy and in us filmmakers and us directors to, to keep trying new things and keep that energy alive. Like, you know, if I, <clears throat> right now I'm directing commercials all the time, but wouldn't it be great if I was doing a yeah. movie? You know what I mean? Then you got <clears throat> guys that are doing movies <laughs> that are like, man, it'd just be awesome if between, you know, cause films take such a long time. It's like, wouldn't it be great if I was able to bust out a couple of commercials, <laughs> you know, while I'm waiting for the next, you know what I mean? Or, Hey, you know, binge watching TVs where it's at, like TV has come a long way from even the time that we're directing. It's like, there, <clears throat> there's so much that you can do on TV now that you can never do on like say a network, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you watch the Ozark or something like that. And it's just so cinematic and beautiful, you know, or Paul shoots Westworld, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, um, 
I would love to direct an episode of Westworld. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Like, it's always sort of looking for, you know, those other, those other opportunities and, and who, who do, like we talked about how being social is a huge part of the battle. Who do I need to talk to, to get this opportunity? Whose back do I need to scratch? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like I, I, you know, I've worked a little with a guy that is one of the creators of Entourage and Ballers and knowing that, hey, you know, I would love to direct a couple episodes of Ballers and have that on my mm-hmm. screen, you know, and that'll go to this or, you know, do this. Like, you know, even at, you know, at our little umbrella at the Ridley Scott group, like, you know, we, th- there's so many killer shows that Scott Free does. You know, and I'm kind of just biding my time like, hey, listen, you know that I'm down the road on two movies. One of them is going this year, which is going to be Fuck awesome. Yeah, dude. And, right. And it's like and, you know, they've directly said to my face, like, dude, once we see that and now suddenly because it's that thing where like, well, can you tell a story that's longer than. Uh, yeah, you and I are in the same boat with that right now. We always hear that. You know, because we've, you and I have done a lot of short form stuff. I'm like, yes, I've done this. You know, I did a season of direct TV, like on um, Discovery Channel, Racing Under Green. Like, you know, I, what I, what I have, like 13 episodes or something, and they were an hour each, like 45 minutes each or whatever. Um, sorry about that. It was somebody That's all good. Anyway, so where were we? I apologize. No, so, uh, yes. We're talking about like the greener pastures exactly and like wanting to, you know, sort of experience these other things. And I think like, I think that if you don't have that kind of fire, then, you know, I don't know. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think being a complacent director and being like, okay, I'm good. Like, no way, man. You know what I mean? Like, I think like trying to land those other opportunities and jump in makes you really challenge yourself. You know completely, I mean? completely, man, completely. And I- oh, and then what I was saying was, as I was talking about feature stuff, is like you know, at my company, they do some really, really cool stuff. And um, you know, they're like, we were talking about, hey, can you tell a story in a longer, you know, like because you do a lot of commercial work, and I was talking about my Discovery Show and blah blah blah. And they're like, oh yeah, but that was documentary, and this is with actors. Like they're always sort of trying to find something to work against mm-hmm. you. And I'm like you know, okay, great. So, you know, I'm going to get this movie and I'm going to serve this up and be like, all right, guys, here you go. Here's my little 90 minute, you know, Danny McBride experience. What do you think of this? <laughs> and like, I please do an episode of the passage now, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? So Yeah, man. Okay. I Dude, well, you're killing it, man. You've been killing it for years. So it's, it's really cool uh, to be able to, to chat with you, man. It's really cool to be able to hang out. Um, yeah, and, sure. uh, you know, I, I haven't been able to officially talk about anything with 12 cam yet, so I'm not yeah. kind of not doing that yet, but you know, we're, we're both in the same boat and the best part is we're both at the, yeah, you know what I mean? The, to be able to have <clears throat> that brand behind us. You know what I mean, and that that legacy of, of filmmaking and yeah, commercial work and everything. Dude, it's know? crazy. It's it's mind blowing to me still. Yeah, yeah. it's nuts. Um, that's amazing family. Yeah, you know, for sure. I'm pumped about it, man. So, 
Uh, all right, so I think this is good. I think uh, this is the point where I usually let the guest plug anything. Is there anything that you want to plug? Is there any uh, place you want to send the listeners? Um, you know what? I would love like to to continue the conversation. Let's, if I can, let me plug Dawn and Nostalgia. It's D A W N of O F Nostalgia N O S T A L G I A. You can always find me on there because I. I designed it and I created it to talk about movies and talk about filmmaking. And, you know, we've gotten some cool followers in the last two years here. And, you know, again, all the posters are genuine. My dad, when my dad passed away, he handed down like 2,900 titles. He started collecting movie posters in like the mid sixties when he was an usher. And then he worked his way up at AMC theaters and was on the corporate side of things and whatnot. And, but he never stopped collecting until, you know, day passed away. And essentially I inherited this collection. And what I love about it is, 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 you know, I've started to get some cool heavy dudes, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> filmmakers and stuff that I've kind of, I've tagged or they've tuned into it and whatnot. And we'll kind of do like cool conversations like this and stuff. Like we'll talk about specific shots in a movie or blah, 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 you know, all in and around the movie poster art. And I just, uh, I don't know, I think it's a cool thing. I think it's <clears throat> something I like to do because it, it, you know, I get to meet new people in our community. Yeah. You know Fuck what I yeah, mean? Dude. Fuck yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. new friends. And so, there you dude, go. awesome. And, you know, movie, you and I get nerdy on movie posters. I fucking love movie posters. <laughs> Me too, man. Yeah, yeah. Because it's funny enough, like, even with, <clears throat> even with the feature that I'll be able to talk about pretty soon here because the paperwork's all signed. And awesome. Great. But... With the with the feature stuff, it's so funny because the the guys that one of the guys that's in it and a couple of the producers and stuff, they are like they know about my little Don nostalgia page and they're like already taught like we haven't even really talked about like other actors we want to put in the movie yet. They already start talking to me about what they want the movie poster to look like. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to kind of break down and figure out, like, hey, should we put Michael Payne in this or should we do another or whatever? You know, instead of like, yo, man, you know, like the John Alvin artwork from like, you know, the mid '80s, and I'm like, totally know what you want to do. So. <laughs> oh. Dude, I love it, man. Movie poster work is like, I love illustrated movie posters and I'm, I try to bro yeah. down with as many of these dudes that do like Mondo posters and shit because I fucking love it, dude. Yeah. Me too. Oh, so cool. Um, Well, cool, man. I think, you know, you and I could talk until we fucking turn blue in the face. And I think this has been a killer episode. Uh, uh, great insight into uh, what it's like to be a working director right now. And I think... Um, and a good dude. I think it's important that everybody takes away from this, be a good fucking person. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because you know what? Like everybody there that's showing up <clears throat> is in a lot of ways showing up for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And for to be the, I guess, the captain of the ship or whatever, dude, it's a collaboration. You know what I mean? It isn't, like I always come back to that and I feel like I said it three times on this on this discussion. But like, you know, it's it's just so important you know what i mean to really make something great it 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 takes a village it's not just you you know what yep, I mean? exactly and i think those are fucking wise words to end the episode with so thank you for being on the show zach all right thanks man. all right awesome we'll talk in a little bit
hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And I told you, Zach is the nicest guy in the world. Coolest dude. You got to check out his stuff. Uh, I think his website is zachmerk.com. Look him up. Look at his work. Uh, he's got some amazing short films up there. Um, I'm so pumped to have had him on the show. Uh, and in the meantime, I also want to plug some of our stuff here. So if you don't already, go follow the In Love With The Process POD, In Love With The Process POD on Instagram. Um, we're also on Twitter. And you can follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram as well. Uh, there's a bunch of cool stuff up on both. I just finished shooting um, a brand new uh, spec spot and I've been posting all sorts of stuff on that. A little bit of hints and teases of that. Got to hang out with uh, David Cruda and uh, um, got to hang out with uh, David Cruda. Got to hang out with Greg Tango and Ruben, all my buddies. Uh, and I'm recording this episode a couple weeks early. So it was right after the Super Bowl and I convinced all the guys to come to set on Super Bowl Sunday uh, while the Patriots were in the Super Bowl, which was quite the feat. Shot for 10 hours, then got in a bunch of smokers and grills and made ribs and had a Super Bowl party. It's a blast. It was a blast. So hopefully you guys got to see that stuff on the Instagram account. If you missed it, go head on over to at Mike Petchy on Instagram and check it out. Uh, and one of the things that I ask you guys on both accounts to do is write some questions that I will answer on the show. So while we're here, let's see, what are some of these questions that I haven't answered yet? Uh, let's see. I'm never going to, I, I always do such a shitty job reading the names that people have on Instagram. So I'm not going to call you up by name. But one question was, a filmmaking book that you highly recommend? Uh, I don't have one. Most of my stuff that I learn most of the places that I learn from are either uh, during director's commentaries on DVDs or Blu-rays these days, or uh, on videos on YouTube, behind the scenes videos on YouTube. I've learned more that way than I ever did sort of going through any of the old textbooks that I got in film school. Um, I don't know. There's some stuff in there that they can teach you, but there's a lot of great stuff on the internet. There's a lot of really good stuff on um, YouTube. And like every picture is a frame. There's a bunch of really good video essays out there about certain techniques. Um, so just look through YouTube, man. It's the way to get, it's the way to learn. It's the fastest way to learn about this stuff. Okay, another question is uh, gimbal versus Steadicam. Okay, gear question. Um, both of those are two different kinds of tools. A uh, gimbal is very useful if you need to be throwing the camera untethered, if you need to be moving that around untethered. Um, so I don't know if you've seen some of those amazing uh, uh, action films out of Thailand and stuff where they will have a guy on rollerblades, roller skating next to a car, shooting through a window, hand the camera through the car. I think there's an awesome clip of a of a of a cameraman that was dressed like a seat cover. Like they actually put like seat cushions over him so that he was hidden in one of the shots. The camera would be handed to him, he'd take it, and then they'd hand it out the other side of the window. So it's like this one fluid shot that goes through a moving uh, car window. That's gimbal territory. Because of gimbals, shots like that exist. Because of gimbals, you can have uh, someone like doing a backflip or jumping through a window from one building to the next. That's gimbal stuff. 
Steadicams is a whole different thing. Steadicam is an actual rig that is strapped to the body of a Steadicam operator. Now, the big difference between the two, Steadicams seem to have more of this floating, traditional, uh, think The Shining, think uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, even think uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino. You know, it's like this sort of ominous sort of floating perspective. Um, and the thing that is really great about Steadicams is that the operator themselves, it seems to be a lot less strenuous on the operator. They can actually go for longer periods of time, unless they're, that's not saying that you can't find a really great gimbal operator that can do it, but the gimbals are just so, you're putting all that weight on your forearms, unless you're using like an easy rig, but then you're strapped to a rig. So I don't know. I, I think that if you're gonna do long takes, um, and you don't need the camera to go from like the floor to a face because one of the negatives about a steady cam is that you're mounting it either high mode or low mode to get those two different shots. Um, but I, I like the look of steady cam. I used steady cam for the opening shot in um, 12 cam. That's really cool. Um, sometimes steady cam works, uh, sometimes gimbal works. I did a gimbal. Uh, for the shot in that Leica commercial I did. And that was pretty cool. Um, and then sometimes Dolly's the way to go. And I feel like the more precise you want to get with your camera movements, go Dolly. Go Dolly with like gear heads because you can be incredibly precise with it. Um, but everything's a tool. Everything has their place. Do I pick one over the other? Gimbal or Steadicam? No, it depends on the shot. It depends on what I need from that shot. So those are our two questions for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. And like I said, please support us. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. You can donate by clicking on the $5 donate button. button. <laughs> Jesus Christ. $5 donation button. Or you can uh, sign up for that Audible free trial. I have the link below here. Everybody that does it, uh, we get a little bit of loot. It's great. You're supporting us. And you get to listen to some smart books on tape. Uh, so definitely check it out. Um, anyway, I'm rambling. I'm ranting. I hope you guys are enjoying the episodes being put out more frequently. Uh, thanks for listening. I love you. I'm pushing stop now. Thank you. I love you. Bye.